it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and money in this very special edition of Beer is a Conversation. As I record this, the Batch Brewing crowdsource funding campaign has been open for one day and has exceeded its minimum target of $500,000 and is halfway to the $1.5 million full raise. Incidentally, it has nearly raised more in one day than BrewDog has in four months, to put that into perspective. While the expression of interest phase has been going for a few weeks now, we hadn't covered the raise until now, as the company's financials and valuations hadn't been available, and we considered those important to any meaningful discussion of the investment raise, because it was being sold as an investment. Now that they're out, we get the chance to discuss the batch business and its valuation with Chris Sidwa and Andrew Finneran. As you'll hear, it's a pretty robust discussion, as we talk about the arguably inflated valuations that crowdsource funding permits for businesses, and also the prospects that Batch will be able to execute their expansion strategy in a highly competitive marketplace. I'm a big fan of Batch and also Andrew and Chris personally, and I respect those guys even more for being willing to openly discuss some of the important, sometimes challenging questions I ask about the equity crowdfunding of their business. Needless to say, none of what follows constitutes investment advice. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation, and other advice to check the information in this podcast and the offer, and how it relates to your unique circumstances. Anyway, enjoy this chat about the Batch Brewing crowdsource funding campaign. Andrew Finneran, Chris Sidwa, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Big times for you guys. Uh, the CSF uh, offer opened yesterday, and you've sort of fifty percent uh, there as we look at the yep seven thirty four two fifty. So it, it's ticked along, you know, in, in through the morning of day two. Yeah, yeah it's off to a solid start. We've never done this before. We've you know we're working with a company Equitize who've, who've managed one at least, if not a couple. Uh, and there's a few other examples in, in the Australian industry and over in New Zealand. So we have a little bit of an indication of, of what it looks like when it's done, but I haven't lived through one, so um, don't know what to expect. But yeah, very pleased with what we've seen happen so far. Maybe start by talking us through the decision, because we, we last caught up in 2018. Um, it was just over three years ago, and it was interesting to go back and listen to to that conversation, um, you know, and talking about what your plans were. And you did flag that you, you were looking at options even even back then. Um, and I specifically asked uh, whether what you were doing then was scalable. Um, so I'd encourage listeners to go back and listen to that. But talk us through what led to this plan to uh, to go through a crowdsource funding uh, campaign. Well, we, um, you know, we, we, I guess we don't sit on our hands for too long, I suppose. We, we opened up Small Batch um, and... Uh, you know, we uh, we I'm sure you've heard us heard us talk about we went smaller instead of going bigger at the time, and and um, we think that that's really helped us to you know produce better product uh, in the market. At least we have a test kind of facility for that. 
And then obviously COVID hit. And during that time, we've, you know, we, we, we put out 375 mil cans for uh, everything that's coming out of um, Merrickville and 440 mils um, at small batch. And, you know, we kind of got to the stage where we, um, we can see with the 375 mil uh, cans, we're in a bit more of a, uh, you know, typical format, um, 375 mil by 24 pack cartons was before it was 440 mil by 16 packs. And we sit, we, we're seeing that um, there's, we're starting to get on shelves a little bit cheaper now because, because of the format size. And we can see that we can really start to grow a little bit more volume there. So for us, we're like, what is this, what is the next stage and, and, and what are we going to do? Um, we can see that we, we have a great brand and that we can really start to grow our wholesale base um, quite significantly if we really just kind of um, take a step back to plan a bit more and then re and really reattack it. We've, we've, we've had a few goes at it and um, it's been, um, you know, we've, whatever, whatever you want to call it, like we just didn't hire some of the right people to help us get to where we needed to be. Um, it's partly, you know, my fault as well. I take that responsibility, but we're kind of resetting, um, you know, our product mix and all that kind of stuff through the 375 mil can to hit that. So we sit there, we sit, we said, we've got tons of opportunities out in the wholesale market. What is, what is it that we need to do to grow? Um, and part of that is just investing in sales and marketing for the business. And Chris and I have been growing this business organically for eight years, putting in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And we just kind of got to the point where we said, okay, we're ready. We think this is big enough and worth enough now that we can, we're happy to sell off a little bit of it and really kind of get whatever, however you want to consider business partners, whatever in to, to help us achieve these goals and really realize the potential that this brand has. Um, and so we explored a lot of different options, but crowdfunding ended up landing through a lot of kind of backroom kind of conversations we're having with people who had done this before. And we kind of gone back and forth between traditional um, partners and crowdfunding. And we didn't, granted, we didn't know a lot about crowdfunding, but once we kind of started digging into it, we realized that um, it, it was for us and the, 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 our size, it's actually a really good avenue for us to go down um, mainly because um, and, and through seeing it, you know, right now, people want to see us more. So that's very, it's very positive to see, you know, hundreds of people investing in this business right now as we're talking. Um, but they become advocates. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're going to help us achieve our goals uh, because they're going to drink our beer um, and become uh, more, hopefully more regular purchasers, but they're going to tell all their friends about it and their friends' friends. How much of the attraction of crowdfunding is you know, the, the, there's no way to sort of soften this, is the overinflated values that crowdfunding gets over any other form of investment. Definitely a factor. You can't yeah. ignore it. But the market is the market. And when the market is um, is broadened to allow in, you know, different people with different motivations, uh, then the game changes. If you're only talking to very sophisticated, you know, very much um, capitalist people, uh, then, then yeah, you, you're you're talking multiples on EBITDA, and you're talking you know, a totally different ball. You, it, well, we're not quite frankly, we're not going to have that conversation because they don't want to talk to us, and um, we're too small. We just don't you know hit their radar. Yeah. Uh, so we're I mean we're almost out of that that picture anyway. But even if we could get you know some people to the table, you know we we see more value in it than than they do. Um, and part of that equation is just that it's it's 
you know, maybe it's one, maybe it's five of them um, with us collectively trying to push the brand forward. Whereas, you know, you turn over to you know, uh, equity crowdfunding and instead of having four or five, you've got, you know, 1500 uh, and they've got different agenda. They've got different motivations. But you still very much sell it as an investment. You know, I, I, I appreciate and we'll, we can sort of talk about that, um, sort of the motivations of a, a, an engaged community have, but it's still sold as an investment and an investment is something that comes with the promise of a return as opposed to selling this as something, guys, if you love our brand, you can be part of it. The, the language that you use is very much around investing. Mm-hmm. I guess my question was looking at the you know CSF and the values that are attributed to it. Uh, you know, I, I hear you talking about that engagement and that there are people that do have different um, motivations. Is it a good investment for them in terms of getting a return on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Andrew and I are going to go out there and we're going to continue to hit the streets as hard as we can to keep growing, keep delivering, you know, additional revenue, additional value. Um, in which case, when they're is an exit, they'll, you know, conceivably get a better price than what they paid for it and get a return. At the same time, if they're out there advocating, they will be contributing to that movement, to that progressive, you know, growth and value. So they'll they'll be able to participate, be along for the ride, but they'll also be able to build their own value um, by, you know, broadening our consumer base through their network and, you know, through themselves. Yeah, and, and I, I guess to be to be before like to, to add to that, um, you know, we've comparatively have, have valued this, um, you know, at a, at a revenue multiple that is, in our opinion, very reasonable compare if you compare it to what other revenue multiples there are out there based on the performance of this business. So our intention is to very much grow the value of this business um, and and bring those people. Um, on that journey along the way and, 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 and realize, as I said before, the untapped potential that this brand has. Um, we've, we've really haven't even scratched the surface of what we can do in New South Wales, let alone the rest of Australia. But let's talk about those multiples because comparing yourself favorably to other overvalued businesses doesn't necessarily represent the, the, the true value of the business. And, uh, you know, one that you compare to is Endeavour, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they've been spectacularly, uh, a spectacular failure since their equity crowdfund. In fact, you know, they've completely gone off stream in terms of communicating with their equity crowdfunders um, and have had a, a you know, a, a board push and, uh, you know, all sorts of things like that. Um, so, you know, is, is that really where you want to be pegging your value to, you know, companies that haven't lived up to expectations? I, I am looking at our situation. Well, yeah, in that table, we are comparing ourselves to to other businesses. Um, you know, the other one, which is also one of the outliers in there is, uh, is BrewDog, who have managed, I think, seven or eight of these transactions and each time, you know, grown their market share, grown their base, grown their support network. And um, I don't know if if any of their original investors have had a liquidity event, I honestly, I don't pay enough attention to, to know that. Um, but I, I do stand behind the valuation that we put on ours and I do, you know, expect to get people a return on their investment. So yeah, it's an interesting question that you pose, Matt, that, you know, is it fair to compare against a, you know, 
another pig with lipstick on it. But oh, I'm not describing you as a pig with lipstick. Like, yeah, I'm not so. Yeah, don't, not, I'm not saying that that's what you guys are. Um, but, you know, it's a very strong brand and all of those sorts of things. But when you look at a, a revenue multiple of you know eleven times, when hospitality businesses generally um, operate on revenue multiples on on EBITDA multiples of four to ten which would value you know even on a fairly grand um, valuation of you know four million as opposed to 14. Well I mean I, I think the game is potentially changing slightly so I mean we've had this you know we, we, we've we've had this before people will say well EBITDA versus revenue multiple you know, when you when you look at EBITDA multiples, um, you know it, it it can be for a business that that you know has so much potential, um, and you need that extra push to help you move uh, your revenue and your margins, um, you know, exponentially. But you just need that bit of a push, um, and you can see that. Uh, but yet you have an accountant or, you know, a private equity company or somebody that's just trying to basically say, well, no, um, we're only going to value you at that EBITDA multiple, but then they, in, in return, you then get screwed over. You have to sell 50% or more of your business. Um, and then you realize all this great upside that they then take. So I think for us, you know, this is an opportunity for us to use what's been, what's been happening in the market I mean, it, it is changing. Like there are a decent amount of crowdfunding things that you can point back to. And it's hard to point back to sales of breweries because most of that stuff gets um, like, you can't find the figures on it because the bigger companies that buy them out, they keep everything private. Mm. Um, so we actually don't know what they've been sold for. Well, I, I, I wouldn't even think that that's a fair comparison. You know, like Bolter with, you know, 4 million liters, um, you know, versus, um, bat, you know, Batch it, uh, three hundred and fifty thousand liters probably yeah. isn't you know and 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 growing and uh, all of those sorts of you know Bolter was growing at a much faster rate and those sorts of things but you know then I look at Moa in New Zealand that has a very strong brand presence um, but only went for one point eight million for the brand the the four million liters and the um, brew house um, recently so it, it, it look I mean even on your own figures um, I would seem to you, you mentioned in the in the documents that um, there was a buyout in 2020 where some of your initial investors were offered the chance to to sell out and made a 285 percent increase um, in the value of their investment um, you know what was the event what was the valuation that you calculated that on when, when they sold out the, the transactions were done between private individuals. So, I mean, we facilitated the conversation and then they had their you know, private negotiations, both looking at the financials that, you know, were available. Mm. Um, so beyond that, uh, I wasn't party to it, so I can't really answer, but Andrew, you, you might have more information. No, I mean, I think that uh, my, my comment on that is that those are, yeah, they're, yeah, it, that's a private transaction. So even in this... Well, it's a private transaction that you're willing to use to talk about the value of the business. Um, you know, and, and I, I would imagine that that would, you know, you would have had some idea of what the business was valued at in coming up with that 285% figure. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, if someone has... Uh, it was during COVID, if someone has a 
a price and they're, they're saying, they're saying I'm happy to um, sell at this certain rate and someone's happy to buy at that rate, then that's their, um, that's that uh, we, we introduce people that who are some of the people that were willing to sell and then someone who was willing to buy. Mm. Um, This is prior to us um, going down this, this path and really starting to set a proper, uh, well, what, what valuation we think is behind the business. But, you know, um, even now, if someone if someone were to buy through equity crowdfunding, but then they wanted to sell their shares privately, I, I, I mean, I, as far as I can tell, they, they could sell it for whatever value they wanted to because um, it's those are their shares. I mean, surely it's a relevant metric in terms of looking at what some people perceive the value of the business at. Some people who are internal to the business you know, value the business at. Because sure, I mean, you, you've certainly used it to talk about the, you know, um, growth that they got from their investment. Uh, yeah, I think, I I think the growth we're talking about was from the their from our shareholders' initial investment in us. Isn't mm. that right, Chris? Yes, it was. It was yeah, the price they paid versus the price they got back. Yeah, which you could divide against the you know their share of the business to come up with a, a rough value um based on that that number yeah well i mean i think when we started this we valued the business at like seven hundred thousand or something yeah in 2013 yeah yeah so that's what that's that that's what that is based off of Mm. but they sold in 2020 which would have valued the business to them in 2020 they sold yeah first person was in 18 um i'm not sure if the rest were all in 2020 but it was it was in the heart of covid when we had an excited person who was very interested in getting in, who saw a lot of potential. And then we had people on the other side who had personal situations going on in their lives mm. that led them to, you know, happily take uh, some cash. Um, so, I mean, look, it, I think the, the broader valuation question does come back to, you know, people's motivations in, in that situation. Yeah. Six months changes a lot when you've got, you know, very bleak outlook versus something a little bit more positive with, you know, thought and energy and capital and, and all the rest going along with it to, to support, you know, an ambitious plan. The, the, the enthusiastic person that came in that, that you mentioned from the um, conversation you had with uh, Chris Lukinko on the, the Beer Healer, I understand he was the founder of Campos Coffee. Is that, have I got that right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Will Smith. Um, sorry, Will Young. Will Smith, that's <laughs> yeah. Now that would be a coup. Um, uh, so, so he, I mean, he was enthusiastic, but not enthusiastic enough to invest more heavily in in, in the business to, to sort of, you know, give you the, the, the this um, growth that you're talking about now. Um, it, well, it would have been a similar equation with him. I think again, when you have you know a lot of people making small investments, their risk tolerance changes. But if you're asking a person to write a seven figure check, like they're going to want a different, you know, they have a very different expectation. So I think that's that coming back to the crowdfunding question. I mean, a lot of focus can get put on traditional valuations and time will tell, you know, what happens. Uh, But I think it's just the fundamental difference of what people are looking for when they, when they go into the market. I do believe that we're going to deliver a return. I wouldn't be taking people's money and promising them to, you know, that I'm going to do my best if I didn't intend to. But there is, you know, there is upside for us to deliver 
a very strong return for these people. Uh, you know, if we do everything right and if we, you know, keep making beers that people want and um, keep, you know, expanding and, and, you know, I hate using buzz, buzzwords, but disrupting. Uh, I think the, the other traditional sort of distribution model that, that a lot of brewers are, are working uh, through with you know, major retailers and, and, and the pubs is, is, is very challenging. I mean, we're, we're constantly, you know, getting some traction and then losing some traction, getting some traction and, um, you know, progressing forward and, and, and doing our best there. Um, but where we, you know, where we get really excited with this plan that we put together is, is in, you know, additional um, batch branded retail spaces. So, you know, getting, getting better margin on the product sold is, is fantastic, but giving people a better experience and, you know, what they can get by going to say a BWS, buying our beer and taking it home, um, you know, that is going to lead to, in our opinion, just a much more uh, loyal base, um, greater share of wallet, um, bringing more people into the fold. I mean, we've been talking a little bit, I think before this recording started about, mm. you know, the sheer number of breweries and, and what it takes to, to punch above and, and capture um, some market share. I think, I think the, the problem that a lot of us craft brewers get stuck in right now is just fighting against each other because we can see our tap get taken by the other craft brewer. And it distracts us from the fact that the other 15 beers on tap are the major brewers. Uh, I know, I mean, that's, that's not news. I mean, we all know that we're all up against the major brewers, but it's easy to, to lose that, um, that visibility when, when you're watching your shelf space get taken up by, you know, the next trendy uh, style of beer. So just being out there in the market in a greater way with our branded experiences, uh, we are hoping that we're going to bring a lot of folks who are, you know, either not beer drinkers or, um, or young folks who are, you know, coming of age who have the choice of, you know, consuming lots of different things. Um, we're hoping that, you know, they'll, they'll get on to enjoying what we do. Hearing you sort of talk about, you know, the lower margin of, you know, Dan Murphy's and, and, and the wholesale, when you look at the um, forward estimates um, in, in, in your income statement, um, you know, the, you're looking at, you know, on a current revenue of around about a million, you know, one point, uh, you know, low one millions for your Marrickville tasting room, um, new venue revenue will hopefully match that by financial year 23. But mm-hmm. you're looking at growing um, your wholesale revenue from 2.1 to 7.5 million. Where'd that number come from? Because it's the competition in that wholesale market is only getting fiercer, and the margins are, you know, as you show, are, are, are very low. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's a two pronged approach, right? So having people experience what we do in person, um, you know, we have seen it lead to greater wholesale sales in those areas. So the numbers that we look at in terms of our success at major retailers um, points to that. Um, you know, we've, we've had conversations with similar consumer businesses where, where they have their own retail. They also do better in grocery. The, the market for the kinds of beers that we do that sell really well in our tasting rooms, I mean, we believe that to, to be bigger than what it is for us now. Uh, that's why we believe in having more um, tasting rooms and tap rooms around. But we do still see that the major scale is going to come from from wholesale. I mean, when we get beers that we're happy with, that you know punters have uh, 
you know, demand beyond what we can produce. Um, that's when we do work with our contract brewing partners. And that's where, you know, the exponential side of the growth still, you know, is available to us. So tasting rooms are going to be, you know, a major push, a major experiential um, aspect to what we do. Uh, you know, we're going to roll them out. I think at this point we can definitely fund one, if not two. And, you know, that's going to support the bigger push, which again is is wholesale. And, and, and I hear what you're saying, but, you know, the wholesale revenue for 19, 20 and 21 seems to have been fairly um, static. Yeah, I think, I think that's that's a bit of my fault because for a while I wasn't comfortable with contract brewing. Um, you know, we've built some relationships. We've gotten comfortable with the brewers at the facility um, you know, facilities, uh, you know, for a long time, I still had the stigma attached to contract brewing that I had when we started in back in 2013. And, you know, when I was tasting beers at my local shop, um, and just realizing that so many of them were brewed in the same facility, you know, that really stuck with me for a long time. You know, in fact, I think there's a handful of, of instances where I've held us back in a wholesale um, perspective. You know, I wasn't comfortable shipping beer to non-refrigerated, um, distributors. I wasn't comfortable sending beer interstate. Um, there was a lot of things that, you know, I just needed to, to shut up and get out of the way so that we could start to, to go and grab them. I think Andrew can speak to the opportunities that we're getting based on the inbound phone calls because he services them. Just before you move on from that, it, it, it's interesting to hear that you were wrong in those sorts of decisions because uh, that would that was a big part of our conversation back in 2018 was, you know, those value statements that were so important to the batch brand and you know were the things that I saw as really making you a strong active player in the Marrickville market where um, you know now you're describing those as wrong and having to jettison them to some extent or you know compromise those to some extent to get the growth will that in turn you know diminish the strength of the batch brand you know that that value no, statement. Well, you know, I, I, I go around and round on this one a lot. And, and I think you and I are a lot alike in that we are purists and, and um, you know, do hold, hold the industry in very high esteem and, and want the best from it. Um, but what I have found is that not all the punters do. You know, there's, there's a lot of environmental initiatives that we do fund mm. um, out of our bottom line. There's others that I would like to do, but we can't because, quite frankly, people don't want my beer when it's priced the way it has to be priced to be, you know, environmentally friendly. So until consumers, you know, want to get on board with, with these things, um, we can sit here and, and, and be purists, but the market's going to swallow us up and move right around us. Um, but at the same time, in, in my defense, I think, um, you know, understanding the logistics process a little bit better and that, the, you know, just coming to the realization that, you know, the folks who are running these bigger operations with the ambient storage, they don't have any vested interest in sitting on your inventory. Mm. They're paying for it. They want it gone. You know, mm. they're working just in time, just like we are. And and they're doing the best that they can. And and for the most part, it's it's working. You know, we're not getting, you know, complaints coming back saying, I can taste that this was sitting warm for months and months. Because it's not. It's it's moving through the system. It's getting into, you know, retailers and getting into people's fridges at home quite quickly. Um, and, and then on the flip side, we also came across an organization that, um, you know, helps me get over my, you know, uh, fuel usage and, and, and um, you know, carbon emissions. So because we can now pay somebody to plant trees, I'm okay with shipping a pallet of beer down to Melbourne. 
Whereas before, it just seemed ridiculous that, you know, I should send my pale ale and they should send their pale ale north. And, you know, we've got trucks crossing in the, in the, <laughs> Funnily enough, that was what you uh, yeah. One of the things we talked about uh, in 2018 was exactly that uh, phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is still true. It still bugs me. But you know, since we can spend a little bit of our profits doing you know good, um, you know, then, then then why not? People want the beer down there, so why why say no if you know we can do it responsibly? Yep. Yeah, and to and to jump in, I mean, like a lot of the the you know, I don't I don't completely blame. <laughs> Chris, for that, there's there's a few different instances. Uh, yeah, I mean, we I supported Chris and his his decision. I, me wanting to sell more. Um, obviously, there 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 are frustrations at certain times, and you're like, okay, we're not going to sell it to this market because we're not confident of it. But what's more important is that we also have to make sure that. And I'm talking about the environmental aspect side because um, you know you have to make sure that your your product is good when it goes to those markets. And once we started getting a lot more confident, I mean, last thing I want is to have bad product out in market. So once we got more confident with that shipping and also with the offset scheme, um, you know, we were able to, to start to open that up a little bit more. Um, but like also we have gone through, you know, kind of a series of having um, some sales team um, that, you know, didn't quite fit the bill for us. Um so, you know, now this is a time for us to kind of reset um, and really, you know, um, be able to kind of, I guess, level up or, you know, look at it from five or 10,000 feet or whatever you want to say. And um, so then say, what's the right structure for this team to help us grow? Um, and then we can really start to achieve that. Now, the other thing is like kind of going back to the original idea, um, Chris and I would both love it if like, we could build this brewery um, and this kind of like hub and spoke model kind of network and never really have to leave New South Wales. I mean, that'd be awesome. You mm. know what I mean? And build it into something that wherever you come to your local city or state or whatever you want to call it. And, and everyone's just drinking batch and um, you know, like, and sorry guys, we can't, we can't get it out of the state because everyone's drinking it here. Like that would be really, really cool. But unfortunately that's, there's just a lot of competition in the market right now. So we, we do, have to send our pale ale down while they're sending their pale ale up. You know, yep. it's just the, at the moment, that's just the way it is. But I think if there is kind of back to our conversation that we were talking about before this, um, you know, if there, if, if some things change in the market, there's some volume could open up and we could end up sitting kind of just growing into our own state, just kind of a, it's, it's kind of a fun thing to think of, but for now, we we and that's what we're very much going to be doing. We're focusing on New South Wales in, in the short to medium term, and we will start to grow interstate. Um, uh, you know, it, prob- well, I mean, we're, we're working on it now, but like, our we are going to try to grow New South Wales much bigger first before we try and take over any other states. And if that if that really goes really well, in New South Wales, it's a great thing. It's just it's better for the environment overall. Uh, and, and my understanding is that at the moment you're at capacity in terms of your in-house production. So, will that eight times revenue, wholesale revenue growth from from now have to come from contract brewing? Yeah, I mean most of it will. We um, we do have some room to to you know upgrade some of the tanks. We've got some um, you know, some twelve pack tanks in the back of the corner that you know could easily be replaced with some bigger ones, uh, you know, brewing itself. Um, we can do it more often. We, we have the ability. 
Uh, we just don't right now because you know we've started to to use hawkers for um, tango. So we you know we do have one skew that we do down there. Um, you know we're looking at offloading a couple other skews that are a little simpler to make. You know the things that require souring and nitrogenation. You know we don't necessarily want to have to you know convince somebody to install more equipment in their facility mm. just to to service a one beer from us. Um, so we'll have to you know shift the beers that most suit contract brewing to contract brewers. But I mean, they know what they're doing. It's it's not like the old game where you know you had these small brands brewing way too much beer at a contract brewer because they only had one size tank. And then having that product sit around for months and months and months, like, you know, they know what they're doing. They've got different size tanks. We, you know, are, are at a point where some of our SKUs do have higher demand and can justify that. So, so you know, I, I don't have any issue anymore working with a different brewer. And again, it's, it's sometimes when you ask that question, it sounds like you're anti-contract brewing, which is a perfectly legitimate model, I guess, when you look at the brands that have you know, increased to those sorts of volumes, those sorts of wholesale revenues. And Endeavor is a great example. You know, they started as a wholesale, um, you know, contract brand that felt the need to create a, a venue to try and give that touch point. Um, and, but they, you know, their, their, their revenues, even after 10 years of really working for the big majors, um, didn't get to that sort of seven and a half million wholesale value. Um, so I'm just wondering what the strategy is to grow to that level and still keep the, the resonance and, you know, that batch um, branding that has made you so strong. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where the tasting rooms come in. That's where small batch comes in. Um, we didn't want to go straight to to trying to do high volumes of, of fewer SKUs and lose that. So we put in that smaller system to, you know, A, make sure that we were testing better processes for our, for our bigger SKUs, but also B, um, you know, continuing to do what we did uh, when we had the space to, to make lots of different beers. So, you know, because it's a three barrel system, we've got 10 fermenters, we can continue to pump out as, you know, as much variety as our, as our um, brewers can come up with. So that that ethos is is pretty well cemented with the stainless steel that's there. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I guess the point is others have said the same thing and haven't managed to do it, which is why I'm wondering, you know, what your secret source will be to be the ones that actually pull that strategy off in an ever increasingly um, complicated market. Um, you know, when, when it hasn't worked for for others that have tried a similar strategy. Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, I guess I would, you know, part of me is is an eternal optimist in that sense, but you know, we haven't had any issues staying creative to now. Mm. You know, we've we've shifted where our creative um, influx comes from. You know, traditionally, previously it was you know working our way through all of our homebrewing books, uh, and then once we you know sort of tested everything that we you know that had been done before, we you know stumbled upon at this around the same time, um, you know, the idea of 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 using better malt, using malt that's more suited to um, craft beer, that you know, un- deindustrialized beer. Um, and I don't know what's going to be our next inspiration. You know, we we've we've had a great run of fantastic brewers coming in. Um, you know, maybe maybe the inspiration will come from somebody who's who's you know just brings a different viewpoint to the table. Uh, maybe it'll continue to come from you know the folks at Gladfield and Voyager who keep putting up some different products for us to work with. Um, I can't speak to exactly how it's going to be, but 
I'm confident that we can do it because we've done it before. Mm. We've been doing this for for a while. I mean, and and look, there's going to be uh, beers that have we've brewed before that are going to come back out again, and we we you know we try and improve those recipes. And there's going to be beers, uh, for, and that's at Small Batch, and that's also at Merrickville for limited releases that are you know reruns um, of what we've done before, and we still do that now. Um, but we continue continue to try and offer the right thing to the market at the right time. Um, and you'll find that, you know, there's, even if you're re-releasing, like I always use Big Kahuna, for example, like there's new and different ways to bring that beer to life that we can continue to improve on. So for us, we are, you know, we're, we're trying to even make the, the, the reruns of beers better, um, so to speak. So, I mean, it's like, it's not an, trying Sorry, to Sorry, just, just to jump in on Kahuna, the guys, the guys, we use a, a coconut in, a, in quite a few different beers and they, they have come up with a new process um, for how they, you know, infuse that flavor. So Kahuna this coming year, which we haven't started brewing yet, it's on the schedule for later in April. Um, Kahuna this year should, should be better than it's ever been. And that's, you know, because of small batch and because of our team. Mm. Yeah. And I think for, for us, like that, to me, that's success. That means that we're, we are continuing to, to try and strive to be better and do better. Um, you know, so it's like, how, how many new beers can you brew? I've got no idea. I mean, it, it is infinite. You can do tons of different flavor variations, but at the same time, we know that some people like me in particular, I just want to see certain beers come back out again at certain times of the year. So, um, you know, this, this is going to allow us to continue to do that because sometimes some of the beers that we, that we want to see, and if I'm being selfish about a certain beer, like we'll just do it at small batch. And then we have the ability just to sell it through small batch. And if we have tap rooms, sell through the tap rooms um, so that it's gone, it's here and gone quickly. And we move on to the next thing. We keep that exploration journey for, for consumers um, going. And, and also having said that most people in, in New South Wales, for example, never even had our beer. So it's, this is going to be new for people for a long time. Hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's a good out. point. Like just coming back to your Endeavor example, um, going straight to big box retailers, you know, means that, that they played that card. And when they did their crowdfunding, there wasn't really another card to be played, I guess. Um, I think one of the things that, that's unique about our situation is that, to Andrew's point, we, I mean, partially because I'm stubborn, and partially because, you know, we we're brewing relatively small amount of beer. We haven't ventured very far. Again, as I said um, at the start of this, it was fascinating to go back and listen to that 2018 conversation because I was actually surprised I even asked the question, is what you do scalable? Um, what was it, our answer? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll it, it, it was really around the, the the ideas of, you know, our customers will guide our business and, you know, if they keep asking for our beer, we'll sort of keep servicing them. Which is interesting because what I'm hearing now is that you're in, instead of being pulled by your customers who you can't supply, you're now going looking for customers that you haven't yet reached. Um, which the, the the question that that raises for me is: Could you just sort of say we're happy at the level we are now, we have a viable business, or do you need this growth in order for for batch to be a you know a, a viable business long term? Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I have personal aspirations that, that exceed where the business is sitting now. Um, I think our staff do as well. Uh, you know, the the price of inputs constantly goes up. Rent constantly goes up. Salaries go up. I want our people's salaries to go up because 
they have increased expenses in their life. Um, but the only thing that's not going up right now is the price of beer, mm. uh, partially because of you know all that competition. Could we be satisfied with the size of what it is now? Um, you know, probably in the hands of somebody else who's a little less ambitious. But but I mean, for me, no. Um, you know, does that mean we have to go out and find new customers? Yeah, we do. Um, does that mean that you know we'll we'll dilute what we do? I, I don't think so. No. Yeah, I think I think if we stay where we are now, like the way Chris and I are, we'll both get um, we 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 would we would get bored because we just know there's this potential f- for the brand. I think that um, there's to, to go back to your point about cons- finding consumers versus consumers telling us what they want, yep. right? We are still very much brewing what our consumers want, but man, I'm telling you right now, like it's hard to find, like to figure out exactly what they want. It's changing all the time. It literally, I mean, you see it, you know, there's new, new um, uh, NEPAs coming out all, all the time. Those are not our favorite beers, but we still, we still brew them occasionally uh, because we know people want them. Um, we still brew the beers that we want to see because we really like to see it because we're in this too. So we, we are definitely listening to them and brewing for them, but we also, like, we, we want more people to experience it. So we, we then also have to look out and sit there and say, what is, what are these other people, you know, what do they want to see? I, I personally think that sours have a long, a long way to go. And we've firmly planted ourselves, um, in the, as a sour, uh, or a brewery that puts out a lot of and good sours. So I think that we're going to see a huge, um, a huge increase, um, ideally in kind of in that segment. Um, and you know, people coming into that and exploring that. Um, and when, when they do, we've got a very deep, uh, portfolio there of beers that we can put out and a lot more exploring in that particular style to do with, in terms of flavors, like we're, we're using, um, uh, triticale, um, uh, malt from Voyager, mm. which is a wheat rye hybrid, um, that we're going to start testing, um, uh, out a bit more to see what, you know, low, lower ABV beer, or, you know, what do we, do we put fruit in it? Do we not put fruit in it? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a malt that you that is so flavorful and also gives off this great aroma that you potentially don't have to use any fruits. I mean, we're exploring and Chris commented on this earlier, like, we're still exploring those options. And I think there's just a huge amount of potential for that. So like we are, we're kind of being, we're kind of doing a little bit of both, you know, in terms of finding consumers and also servicing our current uh, customers and consumers, but we're also driven in terms of what we want to do. So we, we, yeah, we do want to drive the business forward. I think if we, if we sit back and don't um, and, and just kind of do what we're doing now, I think there's, um, there's with all the competition, there's only so much we'll be able to do. And I don't know. I mean, I guess part of me maybe worries that we start to become, we're not relevant anymore if we're not trying to, to continue to push it forward. So who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, subset of consumers out there who aren't necessarily hyper, you know, into craft beer, but they do want to support something authentic. And, you know, I'd, I'd much rather, you know, they find a good authentic experience than, you know, just, go path of least resistance and buy the, you know, whatever's being marketed to them at, you know, the, the big box store, mm. um, because as, as we've discussed offline already or, or on the call, I can't remember. It's always a problem with having a conversation before we start recording is <laughs> you can never remember what was said on mic and not. There's, yeah, there's a fair number of beers out there that, that are a little bit more formulaic and, and don't come from, you know, as deeper roots as, as us and a lot of our peers who, you know, 
who, who do work really hard in, you know, in their breweries, in, in the fields and, you know, testing and, and, and trialing and, and putting something forward to the market that's, that's genuine. I'd, I'd much rather it be somebody who's, you know, authentic than, than not. Well, look, I, I mean, these are the discussions I love most in, in, in what I do. You know, I, I know that it's uh, not, not easy, but I you know, appreciate you guys being uh, so open to, to uh, answering these questions because, you know, it, it's, it, it is the prism that we have to look at the, uh, the, the, the rapidly changing industry through. So uh, the, the good news is, as we've been speaking, a couple of thousand dollars has been added um, <laughs> to, to, the, uh, to, to the equity raise. The needle has still been moving. Excellent. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, Andrew and Chris, and, and again, like we're one day into it, and you are rapidly coming up on the halfway mark for uh, for, for for the target, and you've got another month to go. So uh, certainly, um, you know, Brewdog might be looking to take some uh, notes <laughs> from your capital raising. I think you might have even exceeded. Since we've, since we've been in this talk, uh, a friend of mine sent me a text saying we've yeah we're outperforming Brewdog. Ah, there you go. So, which is, which is something, um, you know, and, and, yeah. and the valuations are certainly uh, very different. Um, but uh, anyway, look, guys, all, all the very best. And as I said to you off mic, I was in uh, the, the the brewery last week. I snuck in as part of a tour of uh, uh, Marrickville and surrounds, and uh, really enjoyed it. it. Had a really good vibe, and uh, you know, the, the beers were certainly tasting uh, very good. And we're hoping Pete and I were saying on the podcast last week that we need to do another sweep through. So hopefully we can include you in that. Yeah, That'd definitely. Be great. Good on you guys and all the best for the uh, crowdsource funding campaign. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. And that was Chris Sidwa and Andrew Finneran. For the record, I've bought one share worth $250 as part of this raise. And hopefully you can see why I genuinely respect those guys for coming on and being willing to answer some pretty hard questions about the business. If you're a member of our Facebook group, I'd love to hear your thoughts about not only the raise, but also whether you invested as well.